0: Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the -the off-the-wall and outrageous and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 High FM.
1: You're listening to 101.9 Chi FM. I'm Ben Chilton. This is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program. Nice to be with you on this Monday morning in February. Hope everyone is doing well and had a great weekend. Great lineup for you on the show today. Uh, Looking forward to bringing it to you. uh, Later on at about uh, 20 to 10, as uh, we always do, we're going to be crossing to Rob Hutchinson he is uh, from Dear South Africa and we're going to be looking at uh, what is going on in Parliament and uh, specifically looking at a couple of key bills that are coming in uh, that are of interest. A private member's bill dealing with uh, disaster management and also extension on the comment period for the Employment Equity Amendment Bill. So uh, that should be pretty interesting. That's in our parliamentary feature with Dear South Africa that we do at 20 to 10. But... Uh, After the break, we are going to be speaking to Seth Fransman. He is a senior Middle East correspondent uh, at the Jerusalem Post, and uh, he is also the executive director of the Middle East Center for Reporting and Analysis. And he has done a a very interesting new book on drone warfare and what it means for the future of warfare uh, in general and what Israel has to do with it. So uh, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, we all know about drones, and I think on, on this uh, on this program a couple of weeks ago, we actually covered drones delivering pizza. Uh, this is a slightly more uh, serious version of that technology. So we're going to be checking out uh, what that is all about uh, after the break. Uh, but before we do that, knowing your COVID status doesn't need to be costly or take forever. At Discamp Pharmacies, you can reduce the costs and anxiety of waiting for results with their rapid COVID tests. Book an antigen test, which can determine if a specific virus is presently current, uh, and uh, or an antibody test, which in most cases can determine whether you had the virus or not in the recent past. Book an appointment at a Discam store near you. 0861 117 427. That's 0861 117 427. Discam, a winning mind in a healthy body. We're going to take a short break when we come back. We are going to be talking to Seth Fransman about the history of drone wars.
0: Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. The COVID-19 virus is spread through contact. We want you to stay healthy. Don't shake hands or hug. Wash your hands with soap. Do it often. Use hand sanitizer. Do it often. Use a tissue or cough into your elbow. Clean and sanitize your working surfaces. Protect yourself, your family, and the community. Stop transmission of COVID-19. This is a public service announcement from 101.9 High FM. When you need an escape and some pampering, the place to come to is Sorbet Norwood Mall. Our therapists and nail technicians are there to make you look amazing. Coming for a pedicure, a manicure, a wax, or give your skin a rejuvenating treat with one of our heavenly facials. We now offer Dermapen skin needling to rejuvenate your skin, as well as the revolutionary apple-free hair reduction treatments. Call Sorbet Nordmore on 011-728-4001 or WhatsApp 082-800-1215 to make an appointment with one of our highly trained therapists. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9.
1: 101.9. Hi, FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program. Now, I'm happy to say we have online uh, Seth Fransman. He is the, the executive director of the Middle East Center for Reporting and Analysis, and he has written uh, and contributed to a whole range of, um, of of publications around the world, including the National Review, The Hill, The Spectator, uh, and he's also written several books about the Middle East, including a, a fairly recent one about ISIS, but his latest book is about drones and drone warfare and how that is going to change the way that we fight wars, uh, and uh, it's very, very interesting. Some of it is fairly disturbing, uh, so we're going to learn more about it, and so I'm very happy to have on the line uh, Seth Fransman. Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being with us on the new Blue Review.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: Uh First of all, let's just start off. Why were you interested in drones? What sparked an interest in, in, in this kind of a technology?
2: Well, I think it started, I mean, a few years ago. I mean, I started, I was covering a lot of uh, conflicts and war. I was living in Israel. I covered some of the conflicts uh, with Gaza, with Hamas, and then I was covering the war against ISIS, as you mentioned. I I wrote a book about that. And, you know, I noticed that, the you know, I was always – in places where we started to see that drones were being used a lot more. And I mean, for instance, even terrorists were using them, you know, like these small quadcopter drones. ISIS was attaching grenades and things to them. And, you know, I guess when I was younger, the idea of drones was some sort of like otherworldly, you know, kind of alien Terminator-like environment because, you know, we heard about predator drones, but you never really saw them. So I think the fact that I was seeing them more and they were more accessible and I, I found myself covering a lot more military technology in which drones were just always there. I remember I did a, one time an article about an Israeli army unit that uses the Skylark, which is a kind of small drone that you, you slingshot it using two or three people, and then it, it flies around very silently and can collect uh, surveillance basically at night. And I hiked out in the woods with these guys overnight at really cold temperatures and watched them carry the drone and assemble it. And in some ways, it's cool. It's like a model airplane. But, you know, as you said, it's something that's definitely very important for military and it, it can, they can be deadly. So I decided that, you know, if I don't know enough about this, I assume lots of other people don't either. And I thought it'd be interesting to kind of write not a comprehensive history, but a, a bit of a history of how we got
1: here and where this is going. So I think that's a very interesting point that you make about the issue of predator drones. You know, I think for most people, they know uh, about predator drones, or or at least that's the most common kind of drone that we think about. If we're not thinking about the sort of amateur ones that that people use to take pictures with, or something like that. Uh, and, and and of course, the predator drone very associated with the foreign policy of Barack Obama in Afghanistan, these strikes that we've seen. But but your book really goes into depth about the range of different drones that are sort of now available if you are a, a military tactician of, of some description. So, so maybe take us through what kind of drones there are out there in terms of – and their, their military application. Great. Well, I want, I want people to think – that that's one of the things I mentioned
2: about the Predator drone. It seemed otherworldly. It seems like Terminator or Robocop, something that you and I can't approach as a person. It's something spooky and weird. And it launches these airstrikes and you never see it. I want people to think of drones a bit the way we think of um, animal evolution. When you see those float charts and they say, well, here you have like a T-Rex and here you have an otter. And let's see, you know, how did all the animals get there? And there's some sort of a tree. So we let's think about drones more like that. The predator drone is one part of that tree. It's one branch. But, you know, the history of drones is a far more complex and strange story. And it dates back... More than a century and most people probably know that, you know, there used to be little remote controlled aircraft that, you know, kids could use or you could build at home. And there were also what they called in the, in the past target drones because if you're flying or practicing with an F-16, you want to shoot things down, right? But you can't, you don't want to shoot down other F-16s like in Maverick or whatever, right? So they used to have these things called target drones that, that you could just launch a kind of a pod that would fly along and then other things could shoot at it. So that was a way to test air defenses and test missiles and things like that. And there was also a period of time where they invented they had these kind of drones that they could launch over a country that would just fly in one track and take pictures. Um so there was a lot of these different things lying around in this in the 70s and 80s. Think back even into the second world uh the second world war. The Germans built something called the V1 which was basically a gyroscope-guided kind of a cruise missile type of thing that could be launched from Germany or France, fly over London, and then it would just at some point run out of gas and and fly right into the ground and hit something. So, you know, there there are all sorts of machines like that that have existed. And in the the late 70s and 80s in Israel, the Israelis realized after having suffered a lot of losses in the 73 war, especially from surface-to-air missiles, that one of the problems you have as a commander is i want to be able to know where surface to air missiles are sams or whatever you call them but i need i don't want to fly an airplane over the surface to air missile because it will be shot down i don't want to risk my pilots because pilots obviously are very important you don't want them to be captured it takes years to train them you know so what can you do okay well what i could do is if i can't use satellites necessarily because surface to air missiles are mobile so a satellite passes over once a day it takes a picture but I don't know what happens in the next 24 hours. I need real-time intelligence. And so what they realized was, you can build a kind of a model airplane, a smaller version of an airplane, or something that looks like um, you know, a propeller plane, but you take the pilot out and you remote control it to drive it around to take pictures. And that's kind of where we get a kind of origin of species in terms of these drones, which is something that can fly around remotely, there's no person in it, so you can risk the machine and the machine will bring you information. And then we, you know, it's just everything. You're off to the races then because now we have just a massive different number of types of these machines, some of which have rockets or missiles on them. Some of them don't. Some of them are actually, the machine itself is a, is a, is a, is a, is a munition itself. And it's a bit like that German
1: V1. It just flies into a target. Seth, uh, absolutely fascinating stuff. And uh, we've been talking about drones and where they're going uh, at the moment. Uh, but before that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back just after this.
0: Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Schulman.
1: 101.9 Hi FM. We're back with Seth Fransman talking about drones on the program today. Fascinating technology. And uh, let's see where it is uh, going. Seth, uh one of the big things that you you spoke about just before the break was this remote control element which obviously is is very human but one of the big changes i imagine that's coming when it comes to drones is that you even that human bit of the technology is being stripped out with ai and all of this kind of thing uh what what how far are we from drones that just kind of fly around on their own and do their own thing
2: i mean i think we're already there basically you have um especially it depends on the country and how they choose to operate them, but certainly I think we'll put on that what I've seen in Israel. You know, the idea that the person operating the drone is a pilot is kind of not is not, not there. It's just that the drone does everything itself. You click, you push a button on a tablet, the machine takes off, um, you know, and it, it goes up to a certain altitude. You choose the altitude or whatever. You point and click on the map. The, the, it flies there. And then you tell it what you want it to do. That's, I mean, usually what happen, what drones are doing and and the reason I think you know people like them, which makes sense, is they call it – they're really good for what's called dull, dirty, and dangerous missions. They call it the three Ds. And the, the dull part is important. I think the dirty and dangerous, less, maybe less so. But it's a dull mission to fly for 24 hours in a circle over, over a house, right? I mean so and in the end of the day, the kind of wars that people have been fighting, let's say well, usually the war, war on terror, which we're used to, is um you know you you you're tracking targets over a very long period of time you're waiting for an opportunity, and so the machine is doing most of that for you. the idea that I have to sit there with a um a stick as if the, it's an aircraft and I have to land it and all this i mean obviously, and you mentioned artificial intelligence and things like that, what is artificial intelligence what is machine learning and deep learning? I personally don't understand a lot of the how that works, but I understand one of that one of the applications of it is for instance. Let's say you can train uh, the machine or the computer, the algorithm, to look over a whole bunch of, let's say, canopy jungle or something and discover you know, what, what in that is actually no- n- normal to that jungle and native, and what in that is actually a tank or uh, an interesting house that's just been built by drug traffickers or terrorists. What's changed over time? The algorithm, instead of having a person look over you know fifty thousand images over the last five years to figure out what changed, the algorithm just tells you here's the three or four areas of this jungle that changed. And based on what I've seen before, the machine will say, I think that this is a tank underneath this canopy that's not just a, you know a pickup truck or a Ford 150. So that's where we want that's where you, you end up with a lot the, the machine is doing a lot more work. And hopefully as long as it's making the right choices It's giving the options to the commander or the president of the United States or whoever to do the right thing. And I think where we ran into issues in Afghanistan, where you see controversy, is they looked at patterns of behavior. And then they ended up using drones, sometimes by mistake, to attack a wedding ceremony because they thought it was a gathering of terrorists. Because the pattern of behavior led them to say, wait, there's a whole bunch of men all coming to this house. This must be a terrorist gathering. Well, no, a bunch of men are coming to the house because they're, they're coming to a wedding. So... That's where you have to run into, okay, obviously you don't want the machines killing a bunch of people for you. You need to make sure that the information going in is good and that the choices being made uh, that come out of that are also very good.
1: I mean, that that would seem to me to be a key response, right? So so we stripped out the, 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 the person who's flying the thing. Then we stripped out the person who's controlling the thing. How far are we away from someone saying, well, look, you know, it's a... It's a, a, an area which is not very well defended. We don't really have people. We'll, we'll just program. We'll just program the drone to shoot that stuff as well and make that decision as well.
2: I think the thing is, you don't want the, the machines. What they call the, you know, what is it, shooter in the loop or man in the loop or whatever. You don't want the machine ever making those kind of decisions. But what you can do is task the drone. For instance, um, you know, whether you're in South Africa or whether you're in Israel or wherever. You have huge areas of, of landscape that you need to sometimes defend, and it's not just about defending against terrorists. It can just be things like human trafficking. So you can task the machines to just fly 24 hours a day over this area, collect information, see what's happening, and then hopefully, you know, if you see suspects or something crossing that area or you're able to identify a pattern, then you can send in people to stop them rather than having humans driving. A 1,000 kilometers a day back and forth to do some weird patrol. I mean, let, 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 let's look at another example. Can't you use drones to defend wildlife, like, uh, for instance, a poaching of rhinoceros and things like that? You could have them just flying over all the time as long as the the machine isn't too loud and doesn't bother the animals. Isn't that a more effective way than having humans, rangers out there trying to protect all these animals? So I think there's a lot of applications. It's not just military. And we have to remember in this discussion but where this is really going, when it comes to military applications, I think, is big countries like whether it's a China, the United States, or Iran, or Turkey, flooding the airspace with these weapon systems during the next uh, future warfare. So what that means is, you know, it will look maybe a bit more like the Terminator or something movies, where you'll see, you know, 30 or 40 drones swarming into uh, an armored division and destroying all the tanks. And that is really, I think, where we're heading. And artificial intelligence will provide the machines a way to create an attack pattern that will be very almost impossible or impossible to defeat using air defense, because this is obviously, as I mentioned, an evolutionary game. Think of it as evolution. Just like a beetle or um, you know a bird has to def- uh, has to you know be better- one step ahead of its predator or prey or whatever, the machines are the same. The machine has to be one step ahead of the air defense, or the air defender has to be one step ahead of these machines. And I think that's where we're looking in terms of the changes of applications in the the high-end military issue.
1: Uh, What you've written about recently is that we're in some ways already there. Uh, There was recently a a very brief conflict between uh, Armenia and uh, Azerbaijan over a a disputed territory. Uh, And and we've actually started to see that pattern starting to play out uh, at the moment already.
2: Yes. So what's really interesting about the Azerbaijan-Armenia war is – here you have two relatively small countries, um, relatively, uh, let's say, you know, poor. Not, not, they're not like the richest countries in the world, right? It's not Europe. And they went to war with each other. This is a long simmering conflict. And over the last decades, Azerbaijan has worked to be basically create a kind of instant air force. A country like Azerbaijan, it isn't, doesn't have access to F-35s. It can't buy up huge numbers of F-16s. It doesn't want to use Soviet, old Soviet aircraft. But well, it could afford drones, and it bought large numbers of drones, including Israeli and Turkish drones, and used them in a, in a very complex system to totally destroy Armenia's uh, armored units and artillery units and air defenses. And in a sense, you know, Armenia was fighting with old tactics, and here you have new tactics. And that's very that's very interesting, because what you saw there, I think, is kind of like the Battle of France in 1940. The French army was very large. It wasn't that the German army was was larger. The German army destroyed the French army in the beginning of the Second World War because it was able to use masses of tanks and aircraft in new ways. So I think what you see there is an example of a kind of you know new type of warfare, a kind of instant air force used to totally destroy uh, and make, uh, make the Armenian army just look like something that was antiquated, which is kind of what the U.S. did in the Gulf War in 1990. Saddam's army was just totally destroyed. And it wasn't because Saddam's army... Was not a highly technological advanced army. It actually was. The U.S. was just a, one step ahead, and that's what we're looking at. I
1: think. Now you've mentioned Israel a couple of times uh, in in, in the discussions. So where does Israel sit in the manufacture and uh, and sort of distribution of of, of these, this technology?
2: for many years Israel starting in the 80s was you know the leader in drones it was it was really the startup startup drone nation <laughs> and you know the united states was buying israeli drones it was who you know it was an israeli who designed the predator system it was a guy who went over and lived in the us and, and 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 built that basically i think according to some stories in his garage or something eventually of course it moved out of his hands into a real manufacturing plant but israel was behind a lot of this technology and then in the last decade or so, I think Israel has, I don't know if it's fallen behind, but you know, Israel is a small country. So in the end of the day, you know, America is a leader in drone warfare in terms of certain systems, like these, these large reapers and predators and things like that, the global hawk, big surveillance drones. And then you have countries like China and Iran, Turkey, All of them are building lots of different types of drones, and all of them are using different types of systems. Israel is still a world leader in drones. It builds a whole menagerie, a whole zoo of them, You know, from your large drones that you have that do surveillance to very small handheld type of quadcopters that are, think of your DGI, as you said, the drone you can use to photograph a wedding. Imagine taking that drone and making it military spec, which means ruggedizing it, which means it can fly in hot temperatures and cold temperatures because if you've ever flown some of those smaller drones, they run into issues with battery power or they get too hot. So, you know, you can imagine giving those drones to every police unit. Imagine every single SWAT team has a dozen of those. Imagine imagine just every single unit in the Army, every platoon, every squad, instead of having a guy that does mortars and a guy with a, what do they call it, a squad automatic weapon or a light machine gun or whatever, imagine that there's a guy now in that unit or a woman Who's, off, or who's the drone person, the drone guy? And, and that person packs in with them three or four types of drones into every combat situation. So they have a, a kind of a, what they call a loitering munition, which is a drone that's basically a warhead. And they have a surveillance drone and, and all that. So I think that's what's, um, where we're heading. And I think Israel has pioneered that. If you look at Israel, you will find from the smallest little thing to the biggest machine – that Israel builds a lot of them. Uh, Israel has several defense companies that build them, and it has a lot of little companies, uh, like Spear UAV, which I profiled, and Aeronautics, and all these companies. And they all, you know, build different types of machines. And I think they're always looking for the next big thing.
1: Now, talking of drones in, in the military sense is, of course, one thing. As I said in the, in the introduction, we, you know, we, we've covered pizza delivering drones on on, on this program before uh what what application is there in in a non-military sense i mean I, the rhino issue is something i think that we've discussed in this country uh medicine delivery uh, are, are there lots of good peaceful things that we could be doing with drones Where, when when am i getting my amazon delivery <laughs> via drone
2: look i think a lot of that these, these issues i think there's a lot that can be done with them but let's let's step back for a second just like when i was a kid or younger and they used to talk about flying cars and all this nonsense um Look, there's a reason we don't have flying cars, and it's not because you can't, you can't build gadgets that can fly, like jetpacks and stuff. It's because of the whole issue of segregated civilian airspace, right? You can't – not every person can, can be their own pilot. There's a reason that the pilot um, on your plane is highly trained, right? So you don't want uh, people flying everywhere with jetpacks or flying cars, and you don't really want drones everywhere because obviously they'll crash into each other, and not only will they crash into each other – you can put algorithms on drones that make them not crash into each other. Drones are very smart these days. But I think in order to get to that step where these these machines can do all these things you hear about, like delivering pizzas or whatever, and they're not just military police applications or border patrol, you have to make sure that they don't run into helicopters and run into airplanes and stuff. So you have to do a lot of segregation of the airspace, and you have to have a kind of drone space. I think a lot of countries, the way it works now with drones is – you can usually fly them up to like 50 meters, and there's are certain areas you can't use them, like national parks or, you know, obviously airports. But, um, you know, when you talk about the next layer of airspace above that, above where the DGI, smaller quadcopters go, you know, if we want to be delivering pizzas, that's where you have to segregate that part of the airspace. And governments need regulations. I would assume the way it will work is highly technological, advanced, smart countries like Japan or China or even small countries like Denmark or something will begin to experiment with that. One thing I learned when studying the this book is I always thought that like yeah, wait, drones are everywhere, but they're not really everywhere because large big drones like a Predator or like Israel's version of a thing something similar like that called the Hermes, you know they're not flying in civilian airspace. You know, you don't land at an airport uh and see drones hanging out next to you. <laughs> So there's a reason for that because actually they're basically used by militaries over areas like Afghanistan uh, where basically the airspace is controlled by some sort of international coalition. And that's why the American drone program in Pakistan was controversial because it was ostensibly illegal what they were doing, flying these drones over there. Mostly drones are being used in places like Somalia, Niger, places that they're not – that there is no regulations in the airspace. They're not flying over – you know, they're not supposed to be flying over Joburg or whatever.
1: Now, you've written this book, uh, Drone Wars, Seth. Um, first of all, what has the reception been of people interested and in, in engaging you on it? And, and secondly, where can people find it? Where can they uh, get a copy for themselves?
2: I think you can go online on Amazon, Barnes Noble, Simon Schuster, you could find it online. It shouldn't be that complicated uh, if, those, if they deliver it in your country. So then you should be able to find it, and then or maybe download it on a Kindle or something at some point. I think it's supposed to come out in June, so we have a few more months to go. Uh, look, I think there's a lot of interest online. I've been hashtagging, you know, drone wars and and talking about it. I think people are interested, but you know, obviously the people are dealing with a pandemic right now, and and they have lots of other things on their minds. So. Certainly, I think if you want to be aware of what the next conflicts will look like with China and America or, or even what we said, what are the possible civilian applications for this? Hopefully, the book is an interesting, fun read. You know, It's about military people. It's also about inventors and, and scientists and geniuses and innovators. It kind of takes you on a whirlwind tour from Israel to America, to Iran, to ISIS terrorists. Some of it's a, a based on my own experience. So hopefully it's not just a bunch of technical jargon. Hopefully people will find it interesting. I found it interesting researching it. So,
1: oh, fantastic, uh, Seth Franzman, uh, author of the book Drone Wars, joining us uh, from Jerusalem today. Seth, thanks so much for joining us on the New Blue Review. Thank you.
0: Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.